listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Good morning. My name is Steve Clevenger. My wife and I have been attending Oasis since last July. And we're right now helping with the uh, restoration team and uh, any place else they need us to serve. So, And the pastor asked me to, uh, to read the scripture for today. So we're in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us, we hope that... uh, that you've already been blessed through the, uh, the time of, of singing, and uh, we just want you to make yourself at home. If it's your first time, then uh, I'll just go ahead and assure you that this is who we are. If it makes sense this morning, we'll come on back. You'll see about the same thing each week. Uh, there's no, no uh, surprises, no gimmicks, no smoke and mirrors. This is just who we are, a bunch of ragtag, leftover bunch of ragamuffins. You like that? I like that. That suits me. That fits me well. If that fits you too, well... You found a home. Where we're at in the book of Luke, we, we've talked about several times. Luke is painting a picture, if you will. Like all of the gospel writers, they're painting a picture of the life of Jesus. They're, they're helping those who should have known what was coming as it applies to this one we would call Messiah. And they're also writing to those that might not have any idea what this Jewish expectation of a representative of the creator, and we don't really know what you guys even mean. So the gospel writers are doing their best to write in order for those that are reading to get an understanding of who Jesus is, why he came, and then how we are to respond to him. As Jesus is teaching, he's finding those that are curious about what he's saying. He's saying things, he's doing things, and works of miraculous ability that no one can explain. 
And some are curious about whether or not this one might be the one we've been waiting for for centuries and centuries. Could it be the one that the prophets have talked about and have been telling us this this chosen one, this, this representative of God, the Christ, could it be that this is who we've been waiting? So there were the curious that we're hearing. There were also some that were convinced. These were those that had come to the conclusion that Yes, this is the Christ, and yes, we're going to drop everything in order to follow this one, because wherever he's going is where we want to be. Whatever he's saying is what we want to be doing. Whatever goes on with him, we want to be a part, because we're convinced that this is the one, this Jesus from Nazareth. And then there were those in the crowd that were on the opposite end of that spectrum who were fully convinced that this one was not the Messiah. Yes, we've heard the things that he said. Yes, we've heard the things that have been said about him. Yes, we've heard about some of these amazing miracles that you're calling them. And and no, we don't really understand how this is possible unless he's being empowered by Satan himself. But here's what we're convinced of is that Messiah has not come and it is not him. Those are the individuals that Jesus has just been addressing in chapter number 16. When we jump into this chapter, Jesus has been communicating to the religious authorities, those that were convinced that he was not Messiah and were doing everything in their power to remove him from the scene. They're trying subtle attempts at this point. That's going to ratchet up before too long. They're going to see that subtlety is going to get them nowhere with this one. It's going to get them nowhere with his followers. And so they're going to have to raise the intensity if we're going to rid ourselves of this one that so many are following. Whether curious or convinced that he's Messiah, he's got to go. And Jesus had addressed them. In the chapter 16 at the end, and he was addressing their misunderstanding of the righteousness that God will accept. You see, when God created all that we see and know, and of course all that we will never see and never know because it's so far away or so microscopic we can't even understand it. When God created the universe, he created it out of nothing, he created it good. But in that creation, he allowed humanity the freedom to reciprocate his love. Now, he doesn't spell this out in in, in ways that I would have appreciated him spelling out. But it seems to me that he created mankind in order to have a reciprocating love relationship. We've often probably thought if, if God could have made it possible for man not to sin, shouldn't he have done that? And, and the, the honest answer that we have would be, well, of course. So God, you, you, you made it with the potential to, to go wrong. And I think God would respond, no, I made it with the potential to do right because you want to. I made it with the potential to love me in return 
in the way that I love you. Because you know, while you probably at some point wished there was a potion that you could have given that certain someone that would have forced them to see you like you want them to see you, in the deep of your heart, you know that if it takes a potion for them to see you that way, they don't really see you that way. And so for God to make us robotic, to reciprocate his love because we have no choice, well, that wouldn't have been love at all. So God, I believe, created the opportunity for the man and the woman to reciprocate God's love. But within that, there was also the opportunity for them to reject his love. And to choose themselves, which you know, if you've read the Genesis account, one, uh, one the creation, two, a little, you know, a blown up version of creation, and then we get to chapter three where it all just comes crashing down. We've not even really broken the spine of the book yet, and it all comes crashing down around disobedience and sin. And so the creation is broken Sin has entered into the world and sin is pent up deep in every man, woman, boy and girl. We're born, I believe, in sin with no hope of ever attaining a righteousness of our own. However, the religious leaders during Jesus' time had taken what had been written regarding the sacrificial system, regarding the regulations of food and drink, regarding the regulations of holy days and feast times, and they had turned those things that were designed to simply keep the focus of everyone's attention on the God who loves them, and they had turned it into a group of rules through which you can build a righteousness of your own. And if you do enough of the right things, then God will consider you righteous. And, and in a wild twist of events, they believed that the litmus test, y'all know what that is, you put the little paper in and it comes out with a color, is it a base, is it an acid? The litmus test of whether you are righteous or not is how God is visibly blessing you. So that if, if you are someone that's uh, healthy, wealthy, and happy, you're like, wait a minute, that sounds like something from our day. Yeah, it's nothing new. The Pharisee says if you're healthy, wealthy, and happy, then you know that you are accepted and under God's favor, you're in a righteous standing. And the opposite is also true. If you are sick and poor and outcast, then you know that God is displeased with you and your righteousness is not enough. You are outside of his favor. And Jesus just blew the doors off of that heresy in what we read last week in Luke. When he told about a rich man with no name given and a poor man named who? Lazarus. Lazarus. The rich man opened up his eyes in torment 
while the poor man opened up his eyes in blessing. And we tried our best and I pray God helped us last week to make the point very clear that the rich man was not tormented because he was rich any more than the poor man was blessed because he was poor. The point that Jesus was making is that if you follow the theology of the Pharisees, and you try to live up to a righteousness of your own that God is going to accept, it doesn't matter if you're the poorest or the richest, if you try to stand before God in eternity on the basis of your righteousness, you know where you're going to find yourself? Wholly mistaken. And in this particular situation, unable to change your reality. How did the poor man meet eternity in blessing? Well, the story, the, the, the things that Jesus had been teaching is obviously because the poor man had discovered a righteousness that was not his own. And who does that righteousness come from? It comes from God and it comes through whom? Jesus. Now, building on what he had said and probably making a whole lot of really rich, really religious, really popular folks really mad, we find here that Jesus then turns to his disciples, taking a teachable moment, and he expresses some things that I'm calling heavy instructions for humble servants. Everybody had heard what Jesus had said to these that... Well, we all thought they had it together, and now we're hearing they don't, and you just said it in front of everybody. It's going to get fun now. And Jesus turns, and he's got his disciples' ears. He says, now, let me give you some heavy instructions springboarding off of what you just heard me say to these men. First, he says that we all, you all, if you're a follower of Jesus, I do this on Wednesday nights. And I feel confident that when I say this, that there are some who are not followers of Jesus, but it's just, I just like them to get into the habit of owning it. If you're a follower of Jesus, let's own that thing. Let's don't hide it. We don't need to be undercover. So I'm going to ask you today, and I hope you'll answer. If you're not, don't be embarrassed. Just don't lie. Are you a follower of Jesus today? Let me ask you again. That, that, That sounded like a a response. Did you watch the Super Bowl? Yes, I did. Thank you. And the ratings go, I want to know, are you a follower of Jesus today? Okay. If you're not, hang on. You're amongst friends and we've got some great news that you'll hear sprinkled in for you along the way. And really easily you could become a part of that. Yes, crap too. Jesus said on the basis of what you heard, here's, here's what I want you to know. You all as followers of me, have got to be aware of the effect you have on others. Jesus was not just speaking to the Pharisees. Jesus was speaking to everybody who was working their fingers to the bone in order to follow their teaching. 
in order to try whatever I've got to do to attain a righteousness that is satisfactory to God. And Jesus is saying not only to the Pharisees, you ain't got it. He's saying to everybody trying to get there, you'll never attain to a righteousness that is approved by God on your own. If you're following these clowns, then you're digging down an empty well. And then Jesus says, now, in that same way of thinking, you all have got to be aware also of the effect you have on others. Let's see what he says. He says to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Temptations to sin. What does it mean? This is a circumstance. This is an action. This is something that is or happens that lures someone, you see, I, I saw how I did that. That, that kind of was sinister looking, wasn't it? It lures someone away from the right track in order to follow the wrong way. Your New American Standard Bible probably says stumbling blocks. Your King James probably says offenses. And what does he say? These temptations to sin are sure to come. Why are they sure to come? Because we live in a broken, sinful context. The world is broken. We are broken. And the tempter is doing all he can to lead us into our brokenness. So temptations to sin are inevitable and unavoidable. It doesn't matter where you are. The, the, the monastics, and I believe the third century Christians over in the Middle Eastern areas and some of Europe said, oh, I know what we got to do. We got to get out of society so that we can be uh, separated from sin so that we can maintain our holiness. And they built monasteries with big tall walls that you would go in and that you would beat yourself up and treat yourself badly because if you could just get away from the presence of sin then you could live holy and respectable and what they discovered is is that they didn't have to allow sin from the outside in they brought it with them because they were broken completely fully temptations to sin are going to follow you Everywhere. And that's a smart thing not to run with the crowd that is pursuing sin. That's just a wise thing. You know, who our friends are, that's a good thing that they're going the same direction as that we are. But even by ourselves, in our closet, holding our Bible with all the lights off and our phone in the drawer somewhere else, guess what we bring in the closet with us? Sin. The temptations to sin are unavoidable. They're everywhere. Jesus said, get it. No matter where you turn, you're going to be wrestling with the lure of sin. But that's not the biggest issue. Woe to the one through whom sin comes. Woe to the one through whom the temptations come. Now, who do you think Jesus is primarily referring to in our context? The Pharisees that were teaching a false way of attaining righteousness. Jesus says all kinds of temptations to make your own way. But woe to the one who talks you into making your own way. They're the ones that he says should have rather had a millstone tied around your neck, tossed over into the ocean. It would have been better for them just to put a hit out on them. It's like Godfather in the New Testament. I know. 
tie a big thousands pound millstone that's used for grinding up wheat just tied around there bigger and badder than concrete boots toss them over because it's better for them to be on the bottom of the ocean than to lure these what did Jesus say these little ones now let's don't get confused Jesus is not being specific when he says little ones referring to children although Jesus got a special place in his heart for widows and orphans and children and those who are vulnerable and you don't want to mess with them because you have to deal with him. But that's not who he's referring to. He's referring to these little ones primarily who are curious. These little ones who are going, I don't know, honey. Look, I'm going to follow him down. He's, you know, I got to go down to Jerusalem anyway, pick up some stuff, bring him back. I'm just going to walk with them for a while and just see. I'll let you know what I discover. Jesus says, woe to the one who will try to convince someone who's coming to Christ to go another way. But he's saying that to the disciples. None of the disciples would have been luring folks away. So we have to bring it down to where we live. Woe to us when we intentionally or unintentionally lure people off the path of following Jesus to the path of following themselves. He says, you better pay attention to yourself. Look, this, this, yes, what I said to them, important. But what I'm saying to you is equally important because you will have an effect on others. That can be a really good thing or that can be a really bad thing. And it's all going to depend on the choices you make, the direction you head, and the example that you lead. I wrote down some things that we should watch ourselves on. Watching ourselves in the church. Church leaders need to recognize that they are leading others if they are acting in an ungodly way, if they have ungodly attitudes, and if they are acting in ungodly ways, then they are leading others to that same direction. You know why? Because unfortunately, A lot of folks in the pews look at the guy on the stage and automatically assume that he's got it together. If anybody in the place is following God, it's got to be him or he wouldn't be doing what he's doing. Can I just pull the curtain back for y'all just a little bit? Here's what's going on behind the stage with the guy up here. It's everything you're dealing with. Everything you're dealing with, I'm doing. You know the only difference between you and I? Is, is that um, I think there was a specific calling and I really don't mind standing up in front of people. And I know most of y'all would be terrified standing up here and talking. I really kind of dig it. Okay, so God's like, okay, weirdo, I will allow you to have some, some training and you'll forget more than you ever learned and I'm going to let you stand. But boy, boy, I'm telling you, you better tell them what I say and quit trying to be cute and funny. Just say what I say. Okay, yes, sir. That's the only difference between you. Everything you struggle with, I struggle with. Every sin you try to battle, I'm battling as well. And guess what? As often as you fall, so do I. In fact, I might fall more than you do. 
In fact, I might receive more temptation than you do because think about how big of a mess could be made if I fall into certain sin. Well, God could shut this church down, could discourage some of y'all, maybe have you walk away from the faith altogether. So I'm dealing with the same thing you're dealing with. But woe to that church leader who by his life, through his words, leads others into ungodliness. Well, I heard pastor say it. Must be okay. Well, I, pastor was there. So I, it must be okay for me to be there. Well, pastor thought that. That's what he responded. That's what he posted on Facebook. So it must be okay for me. So look, if you're in that realm, if you're in that arena of church leaders, and you don't have to just be pastor, if, if, when I say church leader, you know if I'm talking to you. You know it stirs in your heart. You know that's you. We got to be careful. We got to watch ourselves. What about youth workers trying to be cute, trying to act like the teenagers? And what do we end up doing? We end up taking the most impressionable people in the building and weaken their faith. What we need to be doing is we need to be telling them hard things. We need to be challenging them to follow Jesus in a committed way. Even if everybody in their friend group thinks they're a freak for doing it, we need to be challenging them to follow Jesus no matter what. Woe to that youth leader who on the back of the bus is the one telling the dirty jokes that causes them to think that maybe this isn't exactly what I thought it was. Certainly woe to the children's ministers who abused. Do I need to say any more? Woe to them. You do not want to mess with Jesus' children. Pastors who teach error and false doctrine. Oh, I'm not going to name names. But here's the thing. If, if you're listening and you're wondering, then, then I just want to encourage you, Run that rabbit, okay? Run it. Because that might not be a rabbit at all. You might be chasing a wolf. If you're wondering about it, don't just take it because somebody said it from here or online or just because the video has a million likes, it could be false doctrine. Run that rabbit. Pick it up. If it ain't fluffy, put it down. He says, I don't know how to tell the difference. Well, come talk to me. We'll find somebody who can and they'll tell us both. Amen? Okay. Here we go. Not church leaders, it's everybody. Watch yourself. Do these statements sound familiar? Would they come from your mouth or mine? Statements like, God, well, you know, God wouldn't want you to be unhappy. So I think you should, really? God wouldn't want you to be unhappy? Hey, guess what? Do you realize how many folks between the covers and this, he would have to apologize too if that was a true statement. Well, God wouldn't want you to be unhappy. Oh, really? Paul says, been strapped to these stinking Romans for the last four years. God don't want me to be, I ain't happy, God. What's up? Right? Hey, you know what that is? That's luring folks away from the trial they may be experiencing through the difficulty that they might have to wade through in order to follow their Savior and you're trying to talk them toward happiness when you're doing this. Who do you look like? The sinister one. What about this statement? Well, you know, 
Here's how I see it. If things are going good for you, then obviously you're okay with God. You reckon things were going pretty good for Caesar throughout his reign? Pretty good, pretty good to be the king, right? Does that necessarily mean that Caesar was right with God? Absolutely not. Can you think of times when you remember in your life past, everything that was normal was crashing down, but you knew for a fact that you had never been closer to your Lord? That ever been ever true for you? He's like, no, I never. Well, then we might need to talk. Because the bottom line is, is that if you're following Christ, you're going to suffer. And sometimes you're going to suffer unjust. Well, if everything's going good, then, then you must be right with God. No. Things can be going good and you're right with God, but that's not a litmus test. What about this statement? Oh, please don't ever say this. Well, you know, we're all human. God doesn't expect perfection. Somebody comes to you and tells you about something they're struggling with. Well, you know what? We're, I get it. We're all human. No, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. You know why? Because we ain't ever going to be. But God does expect us to pursue personal holiness. You're like, you, are you saying God wants me to try to be perfect knowing that I'm not going to be? Yes. Yes. Well, that's not fair. God says, more than fair, if you're a follower of mine, I've given you the person of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you wonder whether or not your way is the right way, you just ask him, he'll tell you. You'll find yourself living a whole lot closer to perfection than what you'll do on your own. Does that make sense? But when we say to folks, meaning well, well you know what, we're all human. Hey, I didn't tell you that I struggle with the things that you struggle with so that you'll walk out of here going, well, hey, Pastor Kevin struggles with it. It's, it's party on. No, I'm just telling you, don't count on me being better or having it more together. And don't count on the fact that you can't be perfect as a reason for which to go out and practice imperfection. Does that make sense? Don't tell you struggling, brother. Hey, you know, and, and listen, this is even worse. When we say things like, well, you know what? Little sin never hurt no one. Little sin every now and again, well, that didn't ever hurt no one. Well, I'm sorry. James says a little sin will give birth to death in your life. So you let a little sin in before long, like those rabbits, you're going to have more sin in your life because a little will multiply in ways you never intended. Don't ever tell somebody that, you know what, a little ain't going to hurt you. A little will hurt you. And a lot can be forgiven. Tell them things like that. What about I say follow your dreams until God shuts the door? Um, you know, sometimes God lets you follow your dream and go, well, if you're dumb enough to follow that, I ain't going to shut the door. Well, I, done, I done told you that's not what I want. I, I have impressed upon you. Hey, if you're going to walk through it, I'll get out of your way. Don't tell somebody to follow their dreams. The heart of man, where dreams are born, the heart of man is desperately what? Wicked. Your dreams left unchecked will always lead you away from God even though they may lead you toward earthly success. Don't follow your dreams. Ask God what he wants from you. 
And then make that your pursuit. Make that your dream. I'm telling you, it's like, oh no, that'll never be because I'll never want what he wants more than what I want. You will, if you make what he wants, what you want, you will discover this, this supernatural phenomenon that the thing you never dreamed would be possible, you actually desire. I'll give you one example. When I surrendered to full-time ministry, if that's what God wanted me to do, I said, I will, I will be in full-time ministry. I'm not saying I'm going. or I'm just saying if that's what God wants, that's what I'll do. And folks start saying to me, well, where are you going to go to school? And that just made me mad. You know, folks, well, where, where, where are you going to go to Bible school? I'm like, I've already been to school. I went to school like five years ago, graduated from there. You know, I got a business degree, but I took more Bible classes than a whole lot of pastors I know at the school I went to. What do you keep talking about school? Y'all leave me alone until I started entertaining. I was following a a curriculum called uh, Experiencing God. Anybody ever done that? (laughs) Yeah. Be careful with that. That'll lead you toward him, okay? I started studying that on my own, all by myself, not even with a group. And you, wouldn't you know it, God started changing my mind. Hey, you know what? You, you might not know as much as you think you do. Is that possible? For a little while, I was like, eh, it's possible. <laughs> While we got a little further, I was like, no, I get it. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know anything. I think I might want to go to school. That doesn't make any sense at all. We've just gotten into a house I'm, I'm, my wife's going to cry here in just a minute. We just got into a house. We had just added on about 700 square feet to our house. I mean, it was nice, y'all. Four or five acres, I think, that we had gotten for a song. I mean, it was cheap. And I come in, and she was doing her makeup, looking in the mirror, which was actually we had two mirrors because we had his and her sink. It was awesome. She's doing her makeup, and I said, Honey, what would you think if I were to told you I think we might need to go to seminary? And she never, never missed a beat. She just kept doing her makeup. She said, that sound about par for the course. <laughs> she was right. She was right. Because I had said we'd never do it until I wanted what God wanted. You said, that, that was a long rabbit you just ran. I know. If I followed my dreams, I, I would have been in a state patrol helicopter right now. Doing a great thing. Uh, do, doing a good work. Fact, fact, make myself cry. I might be close to retirement if I would follow my dream. <laughs> Dang. Okay, but, but when I made my dream God's dream, he turned me in a way that I never would have thought we would have gone. And can I tell you something? He paid for every cent of my seminary training with the exception of 500 bucks. He gave me a seminary training for 500 bucks. Don't tell folks to follow their dreams. Tell folks to follow Jesus. And don't worry about the doors. Because when they get to a door and it looks closed to them, they're just following Jesus. I ain't worried about this door. That door needs to open. God will open that door. If God don't open that door, he'll show me the way around it. I'm just saying. Don't lead people away from Jesus. Parents, adults, kids and teens are watching what we do. Beware of your effect on others. And then he says, remember your responsibility to others. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Rebuking sin. 
All right, you watch yourself. Now, remember you also have a responsibility to your brother when he sins, and don't freak out when he sins because there's temptations to sin all around. He can't avoid it. He can't, it's inevitable. Now, sure, he could find a way of an escape. If he lean on the Spirit, the Spirit will lead him away from sin. But if he or she falls into it, then you need to rebuke them. Now, this is a hard word for us because while we might like rebuke in one sense, we don't like it in this sense. What is he talking about? He's talking about coming to your brother with a pointed reprimand, with the hope that he or she will repent in order that they might be restored. So follow it this way. We're, in a, we're a body of believers. We're all wrestling with temptations to sin. One of us falls into sin. Not just something you don't like, but a legitimate sin. Well, what are we supposed to do? Ignore it, not talk about it, just keep playing nice, pretend it didn't happen. No. We're supposed to kick them out and we're supposed to tell them, don't you ever come back here with that trash? No. He says that we who are broken just like them, are to rebuke them. That means we're to come to them and we're to say, hey, um, I love you, but, but that was sin. And I'm susceptible to it as well, but that's not okay. Hoping that they will hear what you say and rather than being defensive, Rather than circling the wagons because they think you're attacking me or you're judging me, that they'll go, you know what? You're right. That was sin. And I'm really sorry for that. Wish I hadn't have done that. You know what that, you know what that is? It's repentance. It's being sorry for your sin. And then when they repent of their sin, then what do we get to do eagerly? Forgive them. We get to restore them because they have fallen. They have repented. Christ has picked them up and replace them back in their spot, and we forgive them. You're like, what does that look like? Well, I wrote down six steps to rebuking. Here we go. Number one, go being certain that it is a sin. It's really important that you don't take the things that you do in your life and anything that is done differently than you do, then that's sin. Don't do that. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Make certain that what has happened is a violation of God's Word. You might want to write down 2 Corinthians 13, 1. We're to seek it out. We're to seek God's Word. We're to look at the scripture in order to understand what is and isn't acceptable. Number one, if you're going to rebuke somebody, make sure that it's actually sin according to God's perspective. Number two, go uh, with certain, uh, go with certainty, and go with with an attitude of 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 honesty that it is indeed something that needs to be addressed. And then number three, going having sufficiently prayed. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. You're like, wait a minute, I thought that was the armor thing. It is. When we get to the end of it, with all prayer surrounding ourselves, we're standing against the attacks of the enemy through the covering of prayer. Don't go to your brother. Don't go to your sister until you've talked to God about it. Go to his word. Make sure it's actually sin. Go with uh, a certainty and then make sure you've talked to God about it. Number four, 
go with a humble and gentle heart with the goal of restoration. See, we like rebuke when we can just talk about something somebody else has done that we hadn't done. Makes us feel better about ourselves. But really all that ends up being is just gossip. When I verbalize sin to the wrong folks, it's gossip. When I verbalize rebuke to the right folk, then it is potentially going to lead to restoration. So go humbly, knowing what you struggle with and knowing how easily you fall. Go gently, not with a stick, not with a fist or a hammer. Don't go with haughtiness, but go with gentleness. And when you sit down with your brother and you look across from him and you're enjoying that beverage, you say, look, this is a hard conversation, but I just really feel like we need to talk about this. If you go humbly and gently, many times they will respond. You go thumping that scripture. You go with an attitude of arrogance. They're just going to dig in and then you're going to contribute to their continuing sin. So go humbly, go gently, and go with the goal of restoring them, not shaming them, not causing them unnecessary grief, with the goal of bringing them back into the body. Number five, I'm sorry, that's Galatians 6, 1, James 5, 9, uh, 5, 19, 20. Number five, go one-on-one first. This is Matthew 18. 18, 15 through 17. A lot of times we hear Matthew 18 presented, if somebody hurts your feelings, go to them and tell them. No, that, don't do that. If somebody hurts your feelings, forgive them. Ephesians 4, 32, uh, Colossians 3, 13. You know, because we're, we're way too sensitive about our feelings, right? This is too feet. Look, strengthen your heart, you know? Put, 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 on, put on some Kevlar, right? You know, folks are going to say stuff, going to hurt your feelings, your responsibility, not going to tell them you hurt my feelings. No. Put on some big girl, big boy britches and forgive them and just hope that they'll do the same to you when you hurt your feelings because you're going to hurt their feelings because you're going to. When they sin, Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, go to them one-on-one. Don't gang up on them. Don't talk about them in the circle. Go to them. Sit across the table to them. Lay out the facts. Hear what they have to say. Invite them to repent like you have done. Invite them to be sorry. Are you sorry? Have you done that? I've already done I, Hey, I did that, and I want to tell you I'm sorry. Awesome. Then we'll, hey, then we're good. How about me and you? We'll go talk to the, you know, you're working toward rest one-on-one. You get there, one-on-one doesn't work, meaning... You lay it out, and they tell you to mind your own business? Well, I was hoping you weren't going to say that. Give it a little time. Everybody cool off. Matthew 18 says, go grab one or two more, two or three of y'all, and y'all go back and talk. Because you might have misunderstood them. You want to have some folks with you that can confirm that they don't want to repent. Matthew 18 says, if you go with them, and and y'all are there together as brothers, as sisters and they still won't hear you, then you bring it before the church. Now, this is not, okay, we need to take a minute here. I've got an edict that I need to talk about Charlie Bagley. Charlie Bagley has sinned, and we need everyone to come along. Read the sin and then sign off on their disapproval. That's not what we're talking about the church. 
But what we're saying is, is that at the very least, the church leadership is aware we got a brother who's living in known sin, is refusing to repent. If they're involved in any type of service, we need to be aware of that. We need to take precautions on that. We need to make sure that they understand and the body understands, look, this brother is off the rails. Look, this sister is not cooperating. Not necessarily from the pulpit, not a church-wide email, certainly not a Facebook post, but we're involving the whole ministry, hoping that at that, they'll go, y'all are right, so that we might forgive them and we might restore them. But if they, re- if they continue in their refusal, then we're to treat them as unbelievers. And you go, that's right, we're to kick them out and we're to throw things at them. No, we're to treat them as unbelievers, showing them the love of Jesus, being available and ready for them, not okaying what's been done, not can enough time pass and we just don't talk about that more, no, but being ready and available to minister to them as Christ would when they're ready to submit their hardened heart. Does that make sense? Remember, disciples, y'all got a responsibility to others. Watch how you act. Certainly don't lead them in a way contrary to Christ. And when they fall, make sure you go get them. Bring them back. We never look more like our Father than when we are pursuing others and forgiving them. Let's make sure we obey. And then they responded in in verses 5 and 6. Well, God, you're going to have to increase our faith because I just don't see us being able to do that. And Jesus like, come on, boys. Uh, Faith, little bitty, bitty faith, the size of a mustard grain seed, just a little bit of faith. And you could tell that tree to go jump in the water, and it would. It's not about how much faith you need. It's just simply walking out of faith. And you'll have all you need if you just simply, by faith, obey. And then I think he moves to a thought of, and when you do, when you have the opportunity to step into that arena and rebuke sin... And when you have the opportunity to look like your father through forgiveness, please don't come back into the assembly looking for everybody to stand up and cheer and, and, and just be all up about you, how awesome you are, what you were able to do as a follower of Jesus. How to, you know, we've got some celebrity folks followers of Jesus that, you know, they come in the room, you would have thought they was a rock band because they just go nuts over these people. Jesus is like, look, let's talk about what humble service looks like. How many of you would have servants come in from the field, come in from a long day's work, but they've got another shift left. They got to do the, the, the cooking and the cleaning. They've been out doing the, the, the agriculture stuff, but shift number two's come in, cooked a meal, clean it up and everything. They don't come in after a long day's work and look at the master and expect the master to go, you guys did such an awesome job. Sit down, let me cook you up something. You don't expect that, do you? Well, no, because they got another shift. Now, can I just take just a little bit of a time out? Let's rewind. Let's rewind back in Luke. And you remember what Jesus told his disciples? He told his disciples, like, look, when you're my friend, like, I'm excited about when you come into the master's house, 
the, the master who wants you to follow him will say to you, no, no, you sit down. Let me make you something. Like, I never heard of nothing like that. Oh, now let's get back to where we are. She's like, you wouldn't expect a human master to get excited about, oh, you did such a good job. Let me cook for you. Like, no, it's not ever going to happen. They're going to go, where you been? I'm a little hungry. How about get in there and get the food going so that I can eat? And then once you've cleaned up, help yourself. I'm not looking for servants that are expecting honor. If you're following me, you ain't going to get that. You're not going to get honor. If anything, they'll be honoring you by taking your life. They'll be honoring you by putting you in the jail cell. They'll be honoring you by kicking you out of the synagogues. Don't expect honor serving me. What you need to be expecting is the opportunity to say what he says in verse 10. He says, be ready to say, we are thy unworthy servants who've only done what was our duty. While we serve him here, we've got heavy instructions that really are not going to take a whole lot of faith. We just got to act on the faith that has been given. It'll be plenty. Do the hard work. Do it his way for his glory. The building of his kingdom. Not expecting any honor at all. And then we'll fast forward to the day you stand before him. Whatever day that is. And if you've been faithful, guess what you're going to get? Most of the time in here, Al is the first one to clap. Because Al knows if he claps, everybody else will clap. So, song gets done. Some of y'all are still really, really Baptist. And some of you, we're Baptists, don't get me wrong, but some of y'all are really Baptist. We get done with the song, and y'all are like, after everyone, I, I just, I don't know what to do. And I was like, yeah! And then what do y'all jump? Oh, oh, yes, yes, clap. Can you imagine on that day when faithful servants come into the presence of the throngs and the king steps up from his throne? You think anybody's going to stop and wonder what their response is? Look, be faithful. Go through the hard stuff. Em- embrace what following Jesus requires. Let it hurt. Peter says it's only going to be for a little while. Keep, you know, keep your mouth shut when you want to blurt out. You know, sit down when you want to stand up and ridicule. Rebuke gently. Remember your effect. Serve faithfully. And then he'll honor you eternally. Not because you deserve it. Because he wants to give it. I don't know why I folded my paper. I got two more things to say. (laughs) Let's put this to work today, okay? Let's walk out of here. Let's put this to work. Four things. Ready? Number one. Let's pursue truth as as a matter of conviction. Let's pursue truth. Where are we going to find truth? God's word. Sometimes truth is hard to understand. We're not going to go off half-cocked just because we've got a Bible verse. Let's make sure we understand what the verse and the context is talking about so that we have truth. And then let's share truth, not opinion, not folklore. Let's share truth, recognizing that our lives have a powerful example. Number two, 
Let's responsibly responsibly rebuke our brothers and sisters. And then let's also be ready to repent when they rebuke us. Let's respond to them when we're in the wrong. Like we really want them to respond to us when they're in the wrong. Number three, let's be excited to forgive and restore others when they repent. And have time to spend a lot of time on it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're restored back to every one of their roles. Some sins have a disqualifying aspect in some arenas. That's not all. And all of that should be done within the counsel of God's people. Under the authority of God's word. What does forgiveness and restoration look like? Most of the time, it's restoring them right back to where they were. Because they fell, but they've repented. God has forgiven them, will restore them. If something needs to have an asterisk then it needs to be God's Word and it needs to be under thorough counsel of God's Word. But let's make sure that we are always eager to forgive and restore all who repent. And then lastly, determine. That's, that's, what that's going to take is an everyday thing. Let's determine to remain humble and faithful in our obedience to Christ. And let that bring what it'll bring. Won't be a whole lot of honor. Be a whole lot of aggravation. Maybe a whole lot of suffering. But he did that in our place and for our sin. And he was raised victorious. And if he was raised victorious, then so too will we. If you're a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not... I've got some fantastic news for you. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't fill out a piece of paper and get on a waiting list to get in. If you will recognize, number one, you're broken beyond repair because of sin. And that God loves you anyway. And God demonstrated his love for you in this. While you were still in the act of sinning, Jesus Christ in your place and for your sins was crucified taking on God's wrath, taking on what you deserved in your place. And then he rose from the dead to prove to everybody that God was satisfied with what had been done for you and for me. And then, if you'll just simply respond. I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for me to do for me what I could never do for myself. And I believe you raised him from the dead to prove that what he did was sufficient. And I want to receive your salvation. I want your righteousness. I want the thing you will accept. I want what you're offering as a free gift. And I know it's only through Jesus. I want him if you'll have me. And Jesus, or Paul, through the words of the Holy Spirit said, Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord, you know it, will be saved. So don't leave from here outside the family when the door's standing wide open and your Savior's saying, not this. He's saying this. Come on in. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We certainly thank you for your son. 
heavy instructions. It's hard. But we know that you'll give us the strength, the ability to obey. That will probably lead to persecution. It will probably lead to suffering. Remind us that a uh, little bit of faith, we can follow. You can follow your son. God, I pray that you'll help us today with whatever we're facing. Whatever we don't know about that we're going to face. We're thankful that you're already there. We have needs. We have things that we can't do for ourselves. Father, we've got inflation. We've got gas we can't afford. We're going to have bills higher than we've had them in a long time. And, and I don't think anybody's going to be throwing out raises. But we know that you have a history of taking a little bit and multiplying it beyond human ability. So God, we ask that you'll help us to be faithful. We ask that you'll help us to keep our mouths shut when we need to keep it shut. And when it's open, I pray that you will put the praises of your name in our mouth. When our mouth is open, that we will, that we will hear the gospel come out of it. That you'll put hope in our hearts and in our minds that we can share with others. And that hope not in a government, but in a Savior. I pray that you will make us good examples of those who are following you and what that looks like and how they too can join in. Father, I pray for those that are sick, hurting, those that are going through some really hard things right now, that you'll give them wisdom, encourage them. Father, I pray for the people of Ukraine. God, I just ask that you will provide what is needed. Bless those that are assisting. Help us to know how we can help. I pray for those that are the aggressors. You love them too. Jesus died for their sin as well. And I pray, God, you would break their heart, that they might recognize their need, that they might turn to your son. And when they do, I believe that the, the bullets will stop. God, we pray your, your will be accomplished. God, help us to see your way in front of us. Give us the courage we need to follow it without distraction this week. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.